All right. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 7 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I'm Kenny Cochran, joined, as always, by my co-host, Jake Hill. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we got an exciting episode for y'all. We're going to break down a little Braves. We had, I think, four games to go over since the last episode, so we got a lot of Braves talk. Um, we also want to dive into the Falcons. We had our first preseason game of the year, matchup with the Lions, so it was very interesting. We got to see a lot of the players that we were hyped about all offseason. Um, and then we're going to get into a little a little more preseason talk and, and talk about some UGA boys that we got to see play um, and what we kind of expect from them as the season unfolds and, uh, you know, moving forward into the league. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, as always, Kenny, I must say that was a great introduction, um, keeping it up through episode seven. I like to see it. No, no stutters, no stops. Doing a great job. Uh, I appreciate that, sir. All right, let me lead this thing off like my name is Ronald Acuna Jr. Okay, so Friday, Friday, August 12th, the Braves played the Miami Marlins game one of a four-game set over three days. Uh, the Braves took game one against the Marlins, four to three. Um, Jake Odorizzi was on the mound facing off against Marlins pitcher Pablo Lopez. Odorizzi, uh, four innings pitched, eight hits, two runs, one walk, and two strikeouts. I want to start with Odorizzi. I'm surprised he didn't get touch for more runs than two runs giving up all the base runners he did so it, it was it was a good job by him to keep the keep the score low keep the Braves in the game competitive obviously we know that Pablo Lopez on the other side is an absolute stud even though his numbers have dropped off a little bit as the season has gone on but he's still a guy that you look at and you get a little scared when you start to get down two or three runs against him um you got anything on that Kenny anything on that on that key pitching matchup I think Jake Odorizzi, like you mentioned, him giving up so many hits and allowing the base runners that he did, that's a little bit of a testament to how bad this Marlins lineup is. Yeah, yeah, that Marlins lineup is is putrid. I want to say, um, giving a little pre-context, I want to say after today's game, which we are currently recording on Sunday night, uh, they've had like 15 games straight without scoring more than four runs. So, you know, that Marlins lineup is is very, very ugly and more pre-context. I think it helped us with the situation we ran into all throughout the weekend and the game plan that we had. So um, going back to the game, Matt Olson had a big solo shot in the fourth inning. It was it was one of his multiple home runs over the weekend. Michael Harris. Michael Harris was two for three, including his big go-ahead home run in the eighth inning. And that home run came after uh, Vaughn Grissom hit a double. So our two 21-year-olds that were teammates in high A like last year uh, going off, as always, Vaughn Grissom. Can't talk highly enough about this kid, man. This guy just continues to impress. And throughout this Marlins series, he was he kept it up, man. He just competitive at bat after competitive at bat, hitting the ball hard, just doing his thing, man. And he has been he has been better than I think anybody could have expected through these first uh six or so games. He's amazing. Like, I can't give you enough credit, Jake. You were on this guy before anybody else, uh, you know, specifically me. You were on him way before I was. I knew he was a good player. I knew that he was, uh, you know, hitting the ball. I just thought he was more of a long-term project, and he's proved me wrong. So, um, you know, I was super high on Michael Harris. We both were. He's a hometown boy, so we knew a lot about him. But, man, Vaughn Grissom is the real deal. He's as real of a deal as it could possibly get. And I know we're only talking about the first game right now, and we'll get into the later games. But this dude has not slowed down a bit. So, spoiler alert, if you didn't already know. Um, I mean, Vaughn Grissom is, is looking like, I mean, he's he's literally playing like a 10-year veteran. He hasn't slowed down. His approach to the plate is incredible. His at-bats are amazing. He's Every at-bat is competitive. You know, he may not get on base every single time, but he's getting on base a majority of the time. Or he's, you know, 
getting on base a good bit of the time, I should say. I, I mean, it's it's just crazy, man. He looks amazing. He looks – I can't say enough about the guy. I mean, you add a guy like that into our lineup, and that's really what we've been missing. And um, he's been playing really good defense, too, at second base. This is a guy that didn't get a lot of – he didn't get a lot of uh, reps at second base in the minors. So, I mean, he's a shortstop. And now we're talking about Ozzy coming back and potentially throwing him in the outfield. Like, that just shows how much faith we have in the dude. Like, he's obviously a freak athlete. So, Vaughn Grissom, you are incredible. Yeah, and, and earlier in the year, we were uh, throwing Marcel and left just to keep the bat in the lineup and try to get guys out there. So, I, I really don't think the Braves will hesitate to try Vaughn Grissom out there just to keep his bat in the lineup. And, you know, in that situation, it opens up so much other situations for the Braves. And obviously, you know, we're talking about this without hoping for a decline. I think we're only six games in with Vaughn, and, you know, he, he's going to come back down to earth slightly. I mean, I think the guy, I have his stat later on, so I'll talk about it, but he can't, he's not going to continue this pace. But one note I did see, and somebody tweeted out on Twitter, I can't remember the account. I would give shout outs, um, but I, I don't remember the account. But he was, it was completely correct. Um, if you look at Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris, like year by year throughout the minor league systems, Von Grissom has outperformed Michael Harris at every every level that they've played in. And look at what Michael Harris is doing. This is no discredit to Michael Harris. Michael Harris is the closest thing to a five-tool player on this team besides Ronald Acuna. So this is no this is no discredit to him. But I mean, you look statistically at at a low A, high A, and double A, Von Grissom has outperformed everybody besides whenever Acuna was coming up through the system in numbers. This guy hits has hit, I think he hit over 320 in like every level. In the minor leagues, he's never hit below 300. So I don't think the bat, I think maybe the power numbers and maybe the exit velocity numbers might dip a little bit. But I mean, I think he's going to be a guy that can maintain at least a 280, 280 type hitter that, you know, is going to give you a 15, 20 home run season every year. Like, I think this is, that's the level of player we're talking about. And, you know, we talk about a 21 year old kid growing and gaining muscle and getting older, um, maturing, you know, that power, it, it could easily boost up to 25, 30 home runs easily. So, with that sweet swing he has and the approach to the plate he has, I, I expect him to do big things in, in Atlanta for years to come. His mentality is what I think is the most impressive thing about him to me. He just, he, like I already said it, but his approaches, like they're veteran. I mean, 10-year veteran level approaches. Like this dude is, the the pitches that he's turning on and connecting with, he's, he's barreling up balls that a lot of young guys <laughs> don't even swing at. And like he, he's not getting frozen. He's not getting phased by these, you know, the, these crazy situations that he's put in. And we'll hit on today here, you know, in just a little bit, obviously. But that, you know, just to give an example, you talk about a guy who came in in Fenway Park and his first big league hit is a homer over the Green Monster. Like, what more of an iconic situation could you be put in in your first start? And he just was not phased by any of it. So, man, I love this kid. Before before we ramble on about uh, Grissom for five hours straight, because I'm sure we could, uh, let's go ahead and h jump into Game 1 Saturday. So this is Game 2 in the Marlins series. Um, the Braves beat the Marlins in Game 1 Saturday 5-2. to two. The Braves took advantage of the thing we're talking about, like with our pitching staff. And this is the first um, one of three that I feel like we really took advantage of getting these young guys up. Kyle Muller. Kyle Muller came out, pitched five innings, one, I mean, three hits, two runs, one walk, and five strikeouts. Um, we talk about it with the Marlins lineup, their, Mar their lineup being very weak, but I feel like with a young guy like Muller and guys we'll talk about a little bit later, this is such a great time to get them up here and get that confidence boost because you're still, you're still in the big leagues with a crowd of more people than you'll see. 
you look up, you see that third deck, third deck in the stadium. That's not something you see down at AAA. So, you know, that confidence level that you boost, even though you're going against a team like the Marlins, it still, you know, gives you a little boost, a little shot in the arm that lets you know you can pitch at this level. And a guy like Kyle Muller, man, that's exactly what he needs. Because right now he's looking like, before the broken hand, I know he had a little bit of a shaky start after the broken hand, some bad luck. But uh, before the broken hand, man, he looked like he was too good for the AAA level. He was absolutely dominating AAA hitters. It was just, can he take that jump to major leagues? And this is this is just a start that, you know, you, you take a lot of positives from. Um, I believe the two two runs came off of a home run, just one home run that really hit him. And that, that was it, man. The Marlins hitters had a hard time, you know, matching up against Kyle Muller. See his glove? Yeah, he was pitching with a softball glove. <laughs> it yeah, kind of crazy. He literally said he went and picked up like a $50 Easton softball glove at Dick's Sporting Goods. It was hideous. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was huge because he's got that, that, that splint on his right hand. Yeah, he said he had to find a glove that could fit it, and that was the only one he could find. So he just rolled with it. Crazy. And, you know, as he heals and gets back to his normal self, I know – you know, as everyday people, you're probably like, oh, the glove ain't going to make that big of a difference. But whenever you're at the next level, you need every advantage you can get. And I'm sure, you know, wearing his normal glove, getting more comfortable with it, it, it it'll probably help him a lot in the long run. Yeah, and it turns out he didn't need to use it that much because he only gave it three hits. Facts, that is true. Um, The man of the night, though, um, Cal Muller was awesome, like we said, but the man of the night, Mr. Chadwick Trump. The man went three for four with two doubles and three RBIs, and he would have had three doubles if he didn't cramp up around first base. <laughs> Man, Chadwick Trump. This is a guy to me that I have been actually rooting for the Braves to get on the big league club for a while because I think the Braves are one of those teams that can benefit so much from carrying that third catcher with how much offense Darno and Contreras can provide you. And I feel like it's showing now because with a guy like Trump that can obviously provide, you know, a, a good bit of offense from the second catcher spot. Because I mean, you look at most major league ball clubs, that second catcher spot's not providing much offense. So, you know. He's a guy that can easily fill that role. And with him on the team, it would open up you being able to play William Contreras at DH a whole lot more, which I think me, Kenny, and every other Braves fan would be ecstatic to see. Yeah, if you don't think William Contreras should be in the lineup more than he is, you need to turn your TV off and never watch baseball again. Yeah, I think the dude has like, what, he has, I don't even know if he has, he has slightly above 200 at-bats this year. It's like second or third in the National League in home runs by catchers. So, I mean, the guy... Yeah, like 15 home runs in like 57 games or something stupid. Yeah, the, the guy the guy just straight up mashes baseballs. The batting average is not going to be there, but when he gets a hold of one, he cranks it. And we, I actually sent Kenny a little spray chart uh, earlier today. And if you look at his home run spray chart, the dude hits the ball equally all the way across the field. He has more, I think I want to say he had more going to right field as a right-handed batter than he did to left field as a right-handed batter. So that's just shows the strength that he has. Obviously, we talk about Contreras. He has a sweet swing. To me, when I when I see him swing the bat, it it kind of looks a little bit like a Cunha swing. He has he has a nice fluid swing, and when he connects with one man, he makes it look easy. He gives you a nice little four hundred twenty foot shot easily. Yeah, dude, he's crazy, and you know, Wild Bill, he is a uh, he's a guy that we've got to see develop a little bit, and he had all the hype around him because obviously his brother Wilson is the best catcher in, in the major leagues and has been one of the best catchers for a long time, and. I remember Jake, you and I were talking about this years ago when he was first coming up and Wilson was like, yeah, William's better than me. Yeah. And we were like, okay, yeah, oh, whatever, Wilson, like he's your brother. I'm sure you love him, but you're the best catcher in the league. And now we're sitting here looking at it like, dang, dude, like obviously they're both all-stars. 
Um, and they had a little interview before the All-Star game where one of the reporters asked, if you did a one-on-one home run derby against your brother, who would win it? And they asked William first, and William said, yeah, I would win it. And they asked Wilson, and Wilson was like, yeah, he would definitely beat me. No, I believe it. I, I think I think we're talking about the raw power aspect and just be able to drive the ball. I, I don't know if there's too many catchers that can beat Contreras, or I want to say Contreras, William in a, in a home run battle. So, you know, most of these guys probably wouldn't stand too too much of a chance against him. Oh, he's crazy. Um, Matt Olson. Matt Olson also hit another solo shot in this game. Um, I talked about it. He had uh, so that's now two in two games. Uh, I saw a cool stat that they kept on talking about on the broadcast. Matt Olson has the most RBIs in the National League since July first, which is an interesting thing because to me, when I look at Matt Olson, he he's always very quiet. And there's another thing he's about to put up like a thirty home run, forty five double season. It's going to be the most quiet thirty home run, forty five double season ever because Matt Olson never gets talked about. Um, so Matt Olson, you know, he's continued to swing that bat and, you know, provide runs for the Braves, which is a big deal. Absolutely. Matt Olson, you talk about replacing a guy like Freddie Freeman, which is an impossible task, but if there is a guy that can step in and, and fill that void in the best way possible, I mean, we couldn't have asked for a better first baseman than Matt Olson. Yeah, and he just seems like such a chill guy in the dugout and stuff. Like he's, he's not, he doesn't really care about all the antics and stuff. He's just out there. Like you, you watch Matt Olson play. And he's just he's just there. Like he's just out there enjoying himself, just smiling. Looks like he doesn't even know what the hell's going on. But you know, he's 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 a really fun player to watch. He he drives the ball whenever he gets a hold of one, he's another guy that hits one four forty and just cranks baseballs. So he's 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 awesome, man. We love Matt Olson. Yeah, and when you do see him get fired up, the whole team gets juiced. It's yeah, crazy. Exactly. Um game two Saturday. Uh Braves beat the Marlins six to two. So we start the series three and zero against the Marlins. Um, this is the big Ian Anderson start. Ian Anderson's last start before he heads down to Gwinnett to get a little bit more work in. And Anderson impressed. Uh, six innings pitched, five hits, two runs, one walk, which is the key stat to me, and four strikeouts. It was, it was really, really nice to see Anderson keep that walk total down. We talk about that Marlins offense, but you know it's a major league offense, and um, you start to you start to let them get base runners on, and an offense like that can even drop four or five runs on you. So so you see Anderson only allow one walk. It was it was really, really big for Anderson. I, I was really happy to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Ian, it, it was that was a, a big positive to take from him, especially before he goes down to AAA, like you just said, because he does need to right the ship a little bit and figure his stuff out. And we mentioned it in another episode, I think you did, that he changed his release, his, his delivery is a little bit different. He tweaked it a little bit in the offseason, and I wonder if it messed with him a little bit. So... If he can get back in the lab, man, for, for a couple starts and really figure himself out before he comes back up, that's going to be huge for us because, you know, that's going to be, a, you know, and we've touched on it before, but once you get into the postseason, you don't really see a full five-man rotation like you see during the regular season. It's really a four-man rotation when you, you know, look in the in the big grand scheme of things. But with Ian Anderson's success and his history in the playoffs, like he's untouchable. So he's a guy that you definitely want to, if you can, get him some appearances in the playoffs because he has shown to be that guy. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited for him. I'm glad he had a good outing before he got sent back down. As far as the pitching staff goes, and I know we'll talk about, you know, the game as a whole, but I wanted to say the key point for me, what I was impressed by is Dylan Lee, man. Yeah, Dylan, I have him written down on my notes too. <laughs> dude came in in relief of Ian Anderson, pitched two full innings, faced six batters, did not give up a hit, no earned runs, obviously, no walks, and four strikeouts. Like, this dude has been solid all year long. 
Yeah, Dylan Lee, man, he's been unbelievable. And you see a guy like Will Smith, you know, go through his stuff, and now he's he's traded and he's with the Astros. And you see a guy like Matzik who's shown shown signs signs of brightness, but it also has not been himself like he was last year. And even a guy like Mintz who started off the year so good and has kind of you know declined a little bit as the season's gone on. And Dylan Lee, man, the guy that just steps up and takes over. You know, I'm not gonna say he's the main lefty because I feel like I don't want to disrespect AJ Minter a little too much because AJ Minter still, you know. He's still, you're probably your top guy in the seventh, eighth inning. You probably want to go to, uh, maybe not with the Glacius now, but lefty wise, probably so. But Dylan Lee, man, he, I, I can't say enough about the kid. He's came up, he's performed, and you know he's he's became one of those back end guys that you trust on the mound. Absolutely, yeah, I can't say enough about Dylan Lee. Um, Acuna, Acuna hit a long leadoff home run against the Marlins. This man torches the Marlins. He loves to face the Marlins because of all the drama behind him. And um, the energy, um, Acuna is back. And whenever you see Acuna playing with all the passion he's playing with right now, things can start to get really, really scared for the opposing team. I do want to mention that Acuna did get pulled from this game. I want to say that Guillermo came in for him in the eighth inning because he had a little bit of a, I want to say he tweaked something in his knee. Knee had a little bit of knee soreness, but apparently it wasn't too bad because of something I'll mention a little bit later, uh, Sunday's game. Um, he didn't. He didn't play that game. A little pre-context, but uh, you know, he, yep. he, he had a little bit of appearance there. So apparently, it's not too bad, and uh, he should be fine. He should. I, I assume he'll be back in the lineup Monday or tomorrow or today if you listen to it on the podcast side. Um, so against the Mets. So Acuna. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about Acuna in today's game because, boy, we see time and time again Brian Snicker do some things that just completely confuse fans, and today was one of them. I was just. Oh my gosh. We'll talk it, about it. It was very interesting. Uh Olsen. Matt Olson goes two for four with the home run and three RBIs. So three home runs in two days for Matt Olson. Three home runs in three games for Matt Olson. Like we said earlier, he continues to drive the ball. He's looking good. Um playing good defense at first. I think he's got over those early season woes whenever he, he wasn't looking like his past self. Because obviously when we brought Matt Olson into Atlanta, everybody knew him as one of the best defensive ba- first basemen in baseball. And he has not really looked like that, you know, early on in the year, but he's starting to turn around. Playing really good defense now. Um, and then Von Grissom, man, two for four with the second major league home run. I want to say it won about 440 with like a 109 exit velocity. So, again, uh, people talk about how the guy doesn't have light tower power. Yeah, right. The the kid just blasts baseballs. Uh, two ribbies in the game. And we talked about Vaughn earlier. And I didn't, it's so hard. The podcast thing is so hard. And if you go like four games without recording, one, because we're talking about game one and Von Grissom has a good game. And we're like, we just want to go over everything this kid did like right here when we're mentioning it. Um, so I don't, I'm not going to go too much farther into Vaughn. Obviously you've already talked enough about him. The kid is insane. And we're really looking forward to having him in the Mets series. And you know, the bad thing is we have more to talk about. Well, I'm not going to say a bad thing. The good thing is we have more to talk about Vaughn on Sunday's game, which is today's game or tomorrow's game. Uh, before I jump to Sunday's game, is there anything you want to cover about Saturday, Kenny? I was just going to talk about Matt Olson, but you covered it. Okay, cool. Uh, so Sunday, Sunday, the Braves beat the Marlins three to one, and this one was down to the wire. I this game had me aggravated. It had me, me and Kenny both aggravated because we were texting throughout the game trying to figure out what the hell is going on. The positive in the game, um, or at least the positive through the first eight innings until we got to the ninth inning. Bryce Elder, man, this kid right here came out and showed out the Texas product. Went seven innings, three hits, one run, three walks, and 10 strikeouts. Something that I never thought I would see next to Bryce Elder's name. 10 Ks. Uh, 
man, and like we said earlier, this Marlins lineup, and you get these kids up here to get a little run, get a little start in, and boost that confidence. Man, Bryce Elder, he, he got optioned after the game down to AAA again. He is about to go down to AAA with so much confidence, man. And I feel like this is just another opportunity. If something happens with the rotation or you lose a guy, two guys get knocked out, man, we're just looking at options right here at the major league level. And after Muller's start and Elder's start and Anderson's start, man, we have some guys down there in Gwinnett that will be able to throw if we need it. Bryce Elder came up huge. He's a guy that we've seen have some uh, success in the past. You saw him come up earlier in the year and played pretty good for us. So, I mean, he came in, seven innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, three walks, and 10Ks. Like, this guy, Bryce Elder, he's not a power pitcher. He's not a strikeout pitcher by any means, but they couldn't touch him. And, again, I know we're playing the Marlins. This lineup is absolute dog water. But, I mean, you know, pitching on a major league level is, in it of itself is a task. And when the guy comes in there and dominates like Bryce Elder did, who is so young and doesn't have much major league experience, like you can't do anything but sing his praises. Yeah, and I think I think this kid has the best sinker in the organization. I mean, he goes out there and throws that sinker, and it's just absolutely filthy, man. There was a couple of times where he would throw the sinker high outside to righties, and it would just got the corner, and they would just stare at it. Um. Like you said, he's not a power pitcher, and my one negative I will take away is the three walks. I know he pitched seven innings, but going into the game, Bryce Elder was a guy that had as many walks as strikeouts in major league play, and I think that's what really killed him in his first go-around in the big leagues. Um, I, I would love to see him stay down on those walks because he's not always going to get 10 strikeouts. Like you said, he's not a strikeout guy. This is kind of a phenomenon going against that Marlins lineup, so he has to limit those walks, but... You know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to go too far in the negative with this guy because he just pitched a hell of a game, a really, really important game for the Braves, too, with the with the Mets taking the game today or yesterday. If you're listening to the podcast. Um, oh, go ahead. No, um, I was just going to get into some of the hitters. So why don't you kick it off? OK, I wanted to start off. Uh, the Braves bats were quiet. Um, you know, we faced off against that lefty. Uh, the name is slipping my mind. Braxton Garrett. and um, I was confident in this game. Let's just say I had bet the over seven and a half for this game, and it was not very kind to me. But Michael Harris, first pitch in the ninth inning, he hit an absolute missile to left center field. Um, and this kid right here, dude, he has so much pop. And he's like one of those guys that you look at, you're like, oh, yeah, this is going to be one of those guys that just hits. He just slaps the ball the opposite way, runs. Dude, this guy, he can, he can hit, man. This guy has so much raw power and 11 home runs already on the year in, in a young season, man. This guy is, he's legit, and I'm so excited to watch him for years to come. Dude, he's incredible. I mean, you talk about five-tool players. This dude is as big of a five-tool player as you're going to find. Yeah. Especially 21 years old, man. Like, he's he's nuts. Hey, he hasn't slowed down a bit. You know, I know he had a little bit of a cold streak, but, you know, you, the, you take the sample size that we've been given at this point. He's batting, what, like mid-280s? Yeah, he was. He, I think he won tonight's game batting 290. Uh, there you go. Or today's game batting 290. With 10 plus bombs. Uh, he's got the power. He's obviously, I think, statistically the fastest base runner on the team right now. Um, he's playing amazing defense. He's got an absolute hose. He's thrown guys out left and right. Like, you can't ask for anything better. 293. Like I this. just looked it up. 293. There you go. I mean, you're talking about a 21 year old coming up in his first season straight from double A, and he's, you know, Teeter, teetering along the 290 to 300 mark like he's stupid yeah and he had that he had that one cold stretch in the start of july that had me a little bit nervous but dude he has turned it around so much he's had oh, yeah. such a good 
He's had such a good couple weeks getting that batting average up. I want to say he dropped it down to about 270 or something for a little bit. But man, still, I think he might have looked at it and been like, oh, yeah, that's not me. And just start just breaking baseballs, which is nice. Uh, Vaughn Grissom. Um, I, I feel like a broken record right now. But the kid goes two for three, one run, one walk. And I, I want to mention the walk because the walk to me was the most impressive thing that I saw. Um, in the ninth inning, dude worked like an 11 pitch walk. And it it was awesome, and it, I think I want to say it brought up uh brought up Matt Olson, and the Braves ended up tacking on a couple more runs due to that walk keeping the inning alive. So, and Von Grissom with a good eye drawing the walk, obviously the two hits in the game, and uh so far in his young career, he's seven for eighteen with six runs, two home runs, and a one two two eight OPS. And I want to say he's the only Brave to ever score runs in his first five games, and now he's done in his first six games. So props to him. Yeah, I mean, we talk about him all the time. We're never going to stop, unfortunately. But he is an absolute animal. Also, I wanted to mention Kenley Jansen comes in in the ninth inning and gets his 27th save of the year, which is good to see. Kenley looked good in his, in his, in his loan, in his appearance. And uh, I think it's pretty safe to say that he'll probably have an off day tomorrow. Kenley's not really a guy that you'll see pitch back-to-backs too much. And I think that's where the acquisition of Rasiel Iglesias comes in so, so important because... You face a lineup like the Mets, and you pitch, you know, Kinley's getting up there. I think, I want to say Kinley's up there around 36 years old now. And on days that he can't close the game, you could just throw Rasael Iglesias out there, another top 10 closer in baseball. So, you know, it's it's a beautiful situation the Braves have, and uh, we're looking forward to the Mets. I want to talk about this pinch hit situation. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll let you lead into that one, because I also would love to discuss this. Yeah, so this one just sent me off, dude. I mean, so Brian Snicker, obviously, he's a great he's a great manager. He is a World Series champ. He's been with the organization for forever and ever and ever, um, and we love him. But if if you're gonna knock on him for anything, it's his his decisions as far as the lineup. We've seen some weird batting lineups week in week out, year in year out from this guy. He's made some horrible decisions, questionable in, in many aspects. But one thing that just absolutely sent me today is we're facing a lefty pitcher, right? And you've got a guy like Robbie Grossman coming up to bat who has just under 1,000 OPS versus lefties this year. Dude kills lefties. And right behind him in the lineup, in the batting order, is Eddie Rosario, who is a lefty batter that does not have any success versus lefties whatsoever. And so... You pinch hit Robbie Grossman to bring Acuna in, and they intentionally walk him, so you know it, it worked out. But why not let Robbie Grossman take that at bat versus a lefty, and then pinch hit Acuna for Rosario? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, it, it was very interesting. Uh, I think even the more interesting thing to me was uh, I'm trying to pull it up, see if I can find the exact situation. But in the eighth inning, I know that Eddie had came up in the eighth inning, and I I want to say it was a scoring opportunity for him too. And uh, he let Eddie hit. And if Ronnie is available in that situation, down by one in the eighth inning, you 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 bring him in. And this and at the time I was not so upset about it because I didn't know I didn't know about Ronnie's availability. But then you just openly bring him in to pinch hit with one of our you know like a guy like Robbie Grossman who's had a ton of success against lefties. It it was really really aggravating because I feel like. I understand you bringing Ronnie in, and even with Grossman, Ronnie's a better hitter, but you had so many better opportunities to bring him in throughout the game, man. In the eighth inning, Eddie comes up lefty-lefty, and you 
keep him in the game, and then you use Ronnie in the ninth inning with against one of our better hitters against lefties. So it was, let's just say it was one of those weird snip moments. You're going to get him throughout the year, and you know, funny situation is you bring a guy like Ronnie in with two runners on, and they just give him the base. Like I don't even think he made it to the batter's box. He just put his stuff on and went right first. So that, that was pretty right. funny. And the weird, the, the thing is about the Ronnie situation is he just has some discomfort in his leg, and they're being careful with him because of this turf field. If you didn't know, this is the the place where Ronnie tore the ACL last year, mm-hmm. playing in this stadium on this turf field. No one wants to play there. No one wants to play on that turf, that horrible grassy surface. Um, so in the batter's box and between the base pass, like the dude's fine. Like there was no concern there. A little bit of discomfort, yeah, sure. But as far as stepping in there and giving him a chance to hit, like there was no hesitation. And that's obvious because they put him in there. But where they put him in there made zero sense. I mean, that just absolutely sent me off the edge. Because I'm like, why you're, guarant- you're guaranteeing Eddie Rosario an at-bat here? Why not let Robbie Grossman face a lefty that he's been killing all year long when they're going to intentionally walk Ronnie and let Eddie – or let Ronnie come in and hit for Eddie, who can't touch lefties. Like it made zero sense. I just it it drove me nuts. Yeah, another thing I want to mention in this game before we get off of it. Uh, they gave William Contreras an error in this game, and I can't say I support the error decision on William Contreras. If, if I'm gonna say one negative thing about Von Grissom, um, Contreras threw an absolute seed to second base to try to rob a uh, Joey Wendell. I want to say, and Grissom did not get his glove down to catch that ball. They gave Willie and under it. Yeah, it, dude, Contreras threw an. That was the you. That was the most perfect throw that a catcher can make down to second base. So if I'm gonna say one negative about Vaughn, I actually have a couple of things about Vaughn that I, I feel like he's having a hard time to adjust to the major league level on two things, and it's covering second base. Whenever we are, whenever we're in that weird shift, and he has to come from the second second base spot and cover the cover the uh, steal, and it is running on full counts with two outs. Because I feel like I've seen it happen a couple of times. I think he might be forgetting that uh, with two outs and a full count, the guy at first is instantly running. And you're running on movement. And <laughs> there was a couple of times today that it was a full count, two outs. And he was just like, <laughs> it's like he did not not remember to run. And it, it wasn't a big thing. It was just, it was funny listening to Chip. He was like, oh, late break. <laughs> It, it, was, it was a pretty funny thing to listen to. No shot to him. Obviously, you know, at, in the big leagues, you'll get used to it. He's still kind of out there i'm sure he's he's still blacking out in moments like oh man i'm up here so you know he'll get used to that little bit of stuff but just a couple couple funny things i wanted to mention well the last thing i have on this game i want to talk about marcelo zuna oh here we go here we go jake and i were texting about this we have somewhat differing opinions but i think what it all boils down to is that Braves fans have had it with marcelo zuna this far in the season he's playing horribly and, uh, you know, he, he was two for four today. He had two slow roller singles. No, they, so, they, they, they were hard hit. I'll give it to him. They, they, they were, I think one of them was like 109, except velocity at the middle. You got to give him that. He was hitting the ball hard, hard today. All right, we'll give him one of them, one of the two. Um, so uh, there was a play where, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe Dansby was standing on first. Yes. Ozuna standing on second. And Vaughn Grissom's up to bat. It's a it's a one out, one out situation. Vaughn Grissom hits into what is clearly a double play ball. I mean, it's like a not upper nineties, low hundreds exit velo, straight grounder to the second baseman. Like the most prototypical turn two double play you're ever going to see. Vaughn Grissom, he's a fast player. 
So I know he has the ability to run things out. But unless something goes horribly wrong defensively, there's no way in the world that this guy is running this double play out. Like, it is the most prototypical toss it to the shortstop, t- foot tap on the bag, get the ball to first. You saw it unfold. As soon as the ball's hit, Marcel takes off running from second, gets to third, rounds third. It's a horrible throw from the second from the uh, shortstop from second to first. It goes over the, the first baseman's head, hits the hits the... I don't, I don't want to call it the backstop, but the gate next to the dugout, and bounces off. First baseman runs after, picks up the ball, turns, looks to home. I'm expecting to see him make a play at home, throw the ball, because Ozuna should be charging home plate, diving in. We're losing 1-0 at this point. Like Any momentum shift would be huge for us. And Ozuna's standing like five feet off the, thir- the third base bag, staring at the first baseman pick the ball up. Looking like a deer caught in the headlights. Now, I get... I get the the argument here i get the argument of if vaughn runs that play out and ozuna's caught between third and home you're bringing up austin riley with ozuna standing on third and vaughn standing on first i I understand that that argument there but in the situation that it was and in the weird bats aren't doing anything against the marlins and a horrible pitching staff that we're seeing that just seemed like a key point to me to where you would like to if you can manifest a run in any possible way. So it just drove me nuts because we've had this whole situation with Marcel not playing good baseball, not playing good baseball defensively, not playing good baseball offensively. So if you're going to get anything from a guy who's struggling at the plate and who's struggling in the field, it needs to be effort. Like give us some effort, give us some dog, like give us some fight. And this felt like a play that if it wasn't a slumping Marcelo Zuna with this terrible mentality that he's got right now, if it was Eddie Rosario, if it was Ronald Acuna, if it was William Contreras, maybe not Matt Olson because Matt Olson is slow as Christmas, but if it was Austin Riley, Vaughn Grissom, Dansby Swanson, it feels like this is a play that any one of those guys is humming it. They're on their horse, rounding third base, and chugging it with everything they've got to get to home to just scrounge a run across because we can't make anything happen. And for me as a fan to be watching this, like I'm expecting, like it's not even a thought. Like in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, Ozuna's running home. Ozuna's running home. This is awesome. We're going to get a run here. Like, thank you for the air. And they turn and show the camera and he's just standing there watching the play happen. Like, oh my goodness, man. Like, give us something. Give us something. Yeah, and it was, like, like I had mentioned, it was it was a weird thing. I would like to get like a little bit of out view to see where Wash was directing him. And I know we had the conversation where people blow through stop signs all the time, but Marcelo Zuna is not a guy to blow through stop signs. He's not a guy that should blow through stop signs. Um, I am confident, though, that if that was Travis Darno, he would have ran for it and he would have been out by three steps. So <laughs> he would at least have the effort there. So, I mean, it's it is a point. Um, and that's coming from a podcast that is not enjoy talking negative about our players no matter how bad my struggling we will always try to find the positive in it with a guy like eddie or you know any orlando going through struggles because those are gamers those guys come out and they play ball and they put everything on the field and you know we, that's what we like to see as fans a guy can go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts but if he makes a diving play in the outfield and shows effort you know we're there for it um we will support you all throughout it and that's just something that we have not seen from marcel recently and i'm it's kind of a hard situation because I, I don't want to dog Marcel out as much as I want to dog Snicker out for putting this guy in the lineup every day. Um, I, 
I don't feel like a guy like Marcel should be in the lineup every day. It was nice to see him get dropped down to that eighth spot. I do, I do like that move to try to move him down a little bit because obviously he's not producing. And with the guys that we have in front of him, like a Riley and Olsen, you, you have to have guys that can muster up some runs. So, you know, moving guys like Eddie up, moving guys like Grossman up and, you know, moving Marcel down. It, it was good to see. Um, obviously, Harris is not going to move out of that ninth spot. He's He gets on base way too much for Ronnie. And the top of the lineup, we kind of play that, like, second leadoff type hitter role right there. And I, I actually love it. And I, I don't want to move him. Um, the only way I would move him is if he would drop into the leadoff spot. And that's obviously not going to happen. If Ronnie's healthy, he's going to be there. If Ronnie's not healthy, it's going to be Dansby. So, yeah. Um, Michael, obviously been great. But Marcel, man, we... It's one of those situations where I don't know if this is what he is now. Obviously, I mean, he's still hitting the ball pretty hard when he makes contact. But some of the strikeouts he shows, um, obviously, we talk about strikeouts. He had two two decent hits to start the game, two singles. Uh, and then he came out and they blew a pitch by him on the outside, struck him out. And then he took a slider on a full count right in the middle and struck out. So sometimes I feel like you watch Marcel, he just kind of looks out of it. He's not really locked in. He's kind of just floating around. Also, I know that Ozzy had uh, some kind words for him earlier in the season on a, on a base running blunder that he made. And uh, I think it was one of those situations where he leaked too far off third base and they almost caught him at third. And Ozzy went over there and was screaming at him, which is, if you get screamed at by Ozzy, I know Ozzy is more of like, he, he, he takes on like a team captain role. Ozzy's one of our key guys to have around and he will make sure to speak his word if he has to. But that's not a guy you want to see you know, yelling at you because then you you know you did something wrong if a guy like Ozzy's yelling at you. He's he's a nice guy. He's always supportive, but you know Marcel just continues. And um, obviously, me and Kenny both we're gonna root for him. We're gonna hope that he breaks out of this you know skid he's in because people talk about Marcel. They say that the only great year he had was that COVID year in Atlanta. But I mean, you look at Marcel before that. Marcel's always been you know a solid hitter. And now we have a good sample size from last year and this year and. You know, we can't say it's not, it's just a small sample size thing anymore. It's one of those things that is continuous. So all we can do now is just hope that he breaks out of it or hope, hope that Snicker makes the right move and gets this guy out of the lineup. Yeah, that's really all you can hope for. I mean, baseball is such a <clears> – baseball is – it's a sport to where it's hard to be consistent. I mean, obviously, round bat, round ball, hit it square. Like, it's a very hard game. Mm-hmm. But – when you're not producing at the plate and you're whether or not you're in the field playing left in Marcel's case or, or DHing like he has been, you're not, he's, you know, anytime he's fielding, he's being a, he, he's a heel for this race team. He's, you know, a negative fielder. So when you're not producing at the plate, you're not contributing in the field. Like you need to be trying with everything in your being to contribute to this team in, in the best way possible. And the only way that you can, actively do that when you can't hit you can't field is with effort and to see a guy like Marcel and the struggles that he has like I understand the mentality I understand that he might be down in the dumps but you got to give us something man and that was just super deflating to me especially in a game where we saw a super ill-advised send from Eddie on a hard hit ball to right field where he was out by 15 feet like you would think if that's what we're doing you're going to send Marcel on that play because I certainly think even Though Marcel is also slow as Christmas, like like Matt Olson, like that play would have been closer than the Eddie play. No, I agree, and I have I have his stats over the last two years. Uh, so from twenty twenty one, where you had the where you had the uh the hand injury and obviously the domestic violence issue, 
and 2022. Uh, he's played 154 games, which is 652 plate appearances. So pretty much a full season of ball in between the two years. Um, I will say he does have 27 home runs, which is nice. Uh, 72 RBIs, but the dude's batting 212 with a 270 on base percentage. That's a six. He has a 651 OPS in two years, man. That's not a guy that you can continue to run out at in the middle of your lineup. No. And I'm hoping, I'm really, I really am hoping that when Ozzy gets back and takes over that second base position that we'll stick Vaughn out there and lift and just see what happens because you, I mean, what do you have to lose at this point? No, I agree. Every, every Braves fan should uh, hope for that. Well, um, let's, let's, get to, let's get to the positive. Uh, Marcel, we're rooting for you, bro. Get right and uh, you know, get better. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's, let's you know, get back on our horse and play ball. We're, get, we're coming to the final stretch right here. And if you can get Marcelo Zuna back to old Marcelo Zuna of old, he is a key bat. And it would be beautiful to add that to this Braves lineup. So we're rooting for you. And uh, so let's get off that. Braves become third team in the National League to reach 70 wins behind the Dodgers and the New York Mets. Soon um, to be second place in the NL East Mets. Yes, soon to be second place in the NL East. Uh, that goes takes us to my next thing. Um, entering Monday's series opener versus the Mets, the Braves are five and a half back from first place. And uh, how many games is the series? Do you know? Do you know off the top of your head? Yeah, it's four game series. Four game series. That's right. I'm stupid. I have it written down my notes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got the pitching matchups too. If you need those, I I also have those. So I'm I'm good on that. Uh, Braves. Yeah. The positive that we can take away from the Marlins series. Obviously, we made up a game and a half on the Mets and. We are now five and a half games in front of San Diego for that first wild card spot. So we we got our grip on that uh on that wild card spot, and the Mets, you know, they beat up on the Phillies pretty good and knocked the Phillies out of that second spot. Now the Phillies hold the third spot with I want to say a two or two and a half game lead over Milwaukee. So they're still in a pretty comfortable position. But obviously, if we can't win the division, you want to be that top wild card team. So you know, we got to take the positive away. Yeah. So I think. It's never a good spot when you're five and a half games back in anything, but to take a positive from a negative, being five and a half games back headed into a key four-game series at home against the Mets when you have a three-game series against them later on in the season, I think the second-to-last series of the year, like, it's time. It's time to go. You know, do everything you can because, obviously, you know, we've got a good handle on the wild-card spot. Postseason is in is in the sights, but you can't look past what we've got right here ahead of us. and. If there's any chance for the Braves to win this NL East, like we all want to do for the fifth time in a row, uh, it, it's got to start off here. I mean, we've got to win, in my opinion. I mean, we really need to sweep the Mets. We really need to win all four. But we've got to win this series 3-1 to one to even have a glimmer of hope at winning this NL East. Yeah, and uh, I feel like the Braves, we set ourselves up well for the Mets series and uh, going mm-hmm. into something I'm about to talk about. Obviously, the Braves went really, really young with this uh, with the Marlins series. We brought up three guys to pitch three three games against them, and obviously, it seems like the key to that was getting our best guys prepared for this Mets series, getting a couple of days off, getting them all nice and nice and ready. Uh, so game one, game one, which is today for this two on the podcast side, or tomorrow if you listen to us right now on YouTube. Uh, we send out Spencer Strider. Uh, Spencer Strider is going to go head on head with Cookie Carrasco. I, I I like Carlos Carrasco. I'm a fan of his, but not tomorrow, and especially not when he's pitching against the Braves because I feel like this guy, man. Uh, I I can't stand facing Carlos Carrasco because he's a guy that you look at his numbers, you're like, okay, the guy's like a 3-8 ERA. Obviously, he has a lot of wins because he's pitching for the Mets. But for some reason, in the past, man, I feel like this guy pitches like seven innings, like one run ball against the Braves. And it just makes me so mad because 
I just don't feel like he's that great of a pitcher. It, it, I am hoping so bad the Braves can figure him out tomorrow and, and put some runs up quick, and Strider can go out and make up off his bad start he had last time against the Mets. And I know he had some pretty key words after the last start, so um, he has to go out there tomorrow and, and put on because saying that they beat him because of soft hit balls and stuff, you know, you need to go out there tomorrow and perform, which is, I'm sure Strider will. He's, he's an awesome pitcher, and he's, he's going to be throwing that 100-mile-per-hour fastball by everybody. And me and Kenny both rocking the stashes right now. We're rocking the Strider stashes because we're ready to roll. That's it. That's it. It's a huge thing, too. I think it's a huge advantage that we finally get the Mets at home. Yes. So a four-game series at home, man, it's big. Um, we really need this. We really, really need this, guys. So, um, you know, you, you tune in and watch these four games because these are really going to shape the rest of the season, Braves fans. Like, this is – it's go time. All right, to round out the series, we got, uh, we got Charlie Morton pitching game two. And then game three, we're going to go Odorizzi. And game four, it is unannounced, but um, I have read some stuff on Twitter and social media and stuff. A lot of people are saying it's going to be Max Fried against Jacob DeGrom in game, game four. Max Fried will be activated off the uh, concussion IL. He'll pass his test. I heard he was throwing a little bit today, which is nice. And, uh, yep. man, it, it's going to be nice to have Fried against uh, DeGrom. And I'm happy that we don't have to see the Fried against Scherzer again because Odorizzi is going to take that spot. So we're, we're going to need a, a key, key start on Jake Odorizzi against Scherzer. I don't have the Mets game two starter. Um, I didn't mark that one down. I would assume Taiwan Walker. Yeah, it's Taiwan Walker. Okay, so maybe we can get some success like we had last time off Walker. I think we scored seven or eight runs off him in an inning. So, you know, we like to see Walker on the mound. Uh, that's that's it for baseball stuff, for Braves stuff for me. I don't have any other baseball stuff to talk about. So do you have any, any, any closing thoughts on baseball? I just wanted to mention that right before we kick this podcast off, the Braves announced that Mike Soroka is going to start his long-awaited rehab assignment on Tuesday um, in Rome. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Rome is the high A affiliate, the high A affiliate for the Braves. So um, it's going to be really, really good to see Mike Soroka get some action. So we've been waiting on this, and we finally got some news. Yeah, and I want I want to make this a key point for Braves fans talking about that. Um, even though he's making his rehab start. I still would not expect to see Soroka pitch in the big leagues this year. I feel like this is more of a thing to, you have to understand Mike Soroka is um, arbitration eligible. So this is a key thing for him that he needs to go out and perform at the minor league level to see if the Braves want to offer him that, you know, qualifying offer and keep, like keep him around because I know last year was a question. He was still recovering. And this year, even more so, it's going to be a question with all these young cats we have coming up and, you know, looking like they could be future rotation spots. And I love Mike. I am rooting for Mike. And if it's a $3 million number, I want us to throw the $3 million number at Mike Soroka. Because when, you know, two years ago, three years ago, however long it was, I want to say it was the COVID season, 2019. Um, He looked awesome. And years before that, he was awesome. It's still crazy to think that he is like the same age as Max Freed. I want to say he's actually younger than Max Freed, which is wild to me. Um, But, you know, it, it has to be a question. You look, at, you look at it from a financial side, a baseball team building side. You know, Alex Anthopoulos, that's a decision he has to make because $3 million, you look at their whole payroll, that doesn't seem like much, but you know, $3 million is, is a significant number. It's not, it's not nothing. So, you know, it's going to be something that the Braves have to look for. Um, obviously, there's, I think there's going to be options ahead of him going into this season if something was to happen. A guy like Kyle Muller, a guy like Bryce Elder, I feel like those two guys would probably be above him because we haven't seen Mike Soroka in pitch in so long. But, you know, this is, this is a move going for next year to me. Yeah, and obviously arbitration is based off of the year that you're negotiating. So um, 
if Mike Soroka wants to make any money um, and, you know, pad that pocket a little bit, earn a spot moving forward, he needs to um, he, he needs to kind of nut up and, and play some good baseball at any level for the remainder of this year. Yeah, definitely. He needs he needs to go out there. And like I said, the Braves don't even have to offer him that. The Braves can just no. say you're gone and he'll be a free agent. So it's, it's going to be an interesting thing. Um, I don't want to let him hit free agency because he seems like the key guys that the Dodgers are going to go out there and sign to a one-year Two million dollar deal, and he's going to be an ace. So, just keep him around, please, Alex. If you're, we love you, and you make all the right decisions to us. But this is one that we're rooting for you to make. Keep him around. Um. So, is is that it for the baseball? That's it for me. One key point before we get into football. Uh, I'm going to talk about the gaming side of things. <laughs> if you're a Madden fan, um, we are rooting for Madden to drop tomorrow or today on the podcast side. Uh. Supposed to drop Tuesday if you if you get the all Madden edition, which you know most most Madden fans. If you play Ultimate Team like myself, uh, you probably did because every day early and in Madden and Ultimate Team is important. <laughs> so we're all rooting for Madden to drop tomorrow, and if it does, let's just say I am going to be grinding Madden hard. That was it for me. So we we can we can go ahead and jump into some Falcons. I I, I don't know if y'all are gamers listening. I know I am, so I wanted to mention it. All right. Well, let's talk about it. Uh... The Atlanta Falcons, obviously we're Falcons fans. We're a local local podcast based in the state. So um, we had our first preseason game. We matched up against the Detroit Lions, the Hard Knocks, the Hard Knocks boys, the uh, the the team of the year, so to speak. Everyone's a Lions, fans right, Lions fan right now. So uh, Jake and I actually watched this one together. Um, so I know we've got some pretty exciting things to talk about. So um, Jake, I'll let you kick it off. All right, so the Falcons come out. The Falcons beat the Detroit Lions 27 to 3. And it was for me and Kitty, we watched the games together. It was it was really really good to see some Atlanta Falcons 27 23. Oh yeah, my bad. My bad. I had uh 20 to 3 on my mind, I guess. Oh god. Too early, too early. Uh <laughs> So <laughs> So me and Kitty watched this game together and it like I said, it was just so much fun just having Atlanta football back on the screen and we had talked about it um when you're a team like the Falcons going through a rebuild, usually preseason for some of these teams only matters in the first quarter. But for us, man, this preseason matters so much because there's so many different guys that are on the fringe of making the roster that, you know, and fighting for roster spots. And, you know, there's multiple positions up for battle right now for the Falcons. So it was nice to see a lot of different things. Uh, I want to start off talking about quarterback play. I was very, very impressed by both of the quarterbacks we ran out there with Marcus Mariota and Desmond Ritter. Mariota on that first drive, man, he looked nearly perfect. I want to say Pro Football Focus gave him the highest grade out of anybody on our team. Um, obviously, it was, a, it was a small sample size. He only played one drive. Uh, he went two for two with 36 yards, uh, three carries for 23 yards, and he had a rushing touchdown on that first drive. Uh, one of his completions went to uh, star rookie wideout Drake London, who had one catch for 24 yards. The negative with Drake London is that he had, he had hurt his leg and he didn't play the rest of the game. And I think reports are coming out now that he's going to miss the rest of this week in practice. So I think that would probably set him up to miss next week's preseason game. My, by my assumption, I don't think that he'll, we'll see action from him next week. Uh, we'll probably see some action from week three, a good bit of action, I would assume, just to get him ready for, ready for the game, uh, you know, week one. So we're, we're, we're excited for Drake London. And that one catch, uh, the route looked nice. He got a little separation, and Mariota threw an absolute dime on the run to him so hopefully that's a you know most most fans probably wouldn't be excited about that about that connection but falcons fans we are pumped for it so you know uh desmond ritter desmond ritter came out man he looked good the numbers the efficiency numbers don't look great but 
I think Desmond Ritter played a really, really solid game. He went 10 for 22 with 103 yards and two tutties. Uh, he also had six carries for 59 yards. I want to mention the rushing stuff. Dude, when Desmond Ritter takes off, he looks like a, a gazelle out there running. Like, <laughs> he kind of reminds me of, like, I'm not going to say Daniel Jones speed because obviously Daniel Jones looks a lot more goofy, but this guy does not look like he's moving as fast as he is. Maybe a Stetson Bennett type speed. Like, <laughs> let's, let's keep it in here. Like, he just takes off, and it's like, oh, yeah, he's not moving that fast, and he's just outrunning DBs on the outside. You're like, okay, he is moving very fast. Yeah, dude, he looked amazing, and obviously he was the fastest. Oh, God, what's the stat, Jake? Fastest 40 for a QB since long time. Yeah, a long time. Maybe, like, RG3? Yeah, it's it. so, I mean, obviously the speed is there, and the athleticism is there. We saw this guy and what he could do in college at Cincinnati. So, no, he looked great. He He's... You know, he, he's an athlete, obviously. He threw the ball around. He's playing with twos, threes, fours, fives even out there on the offensive side. He played the remainder of the game at quarterback. So his his uh, his features, his company players out there are not, you know, as high tier as, as some. So, you know, the 10 for 22, I'm not going to say that's not all on him, but obviously yeah. I think you can attribute some of the efficiency to the groups he was out there playing with. Um but for a guy like this who, you know, was a little bit of a controversial pick with who was on the board and where we were picking, um, I think he gave Falcons fans a lot of optimism. I think he gave us a lot to look forward to because we could potentially be in a place, depending on how the season unfolds, to where do we take a quarterback in this year's draft. So I'm um, seeing what Desmond Ritter has. I know it's only preseason, but, you know, you, you take it with a grain of salt. But you have to take everything you're given and everything you can see. So the more this guy can show us, the better we're going to be prepared for years to come. Yeah, and uh, talking about the drops, uh, I know Geronimo Allison had a had a pretty key drop. Uh, Parker Hesse, a guy that me and Kenny are now fans of after watching the week one or week one preseason game, he had a big drop on what would have been probably posted on NF on NFL's Instagram page because Desmond Ritter threw an absolute dime to him in the end zone and he just missed it. There was also another situation where I don't remember who the wide receiver was, but he put one hand out and it was like a ball. It seemed like he could easily reach both hands out and caught the ball. So. You know, Desmond Ritter did have to deal with, you know, playing with a little bit lower end talent than what Mariota had. It's also uh, key to note that Brian Edwards did not play in this game. He's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, and uh, it's nothing big. I, I assume he'll probably be back playing next week, and, you know, he'll be another big target. I think he's a guy that a lot of people are kind of sleeping on uh, league-wide because he'll assume a, a big role in this uh, Falcons offense as the number one receiver. Uh, first drive... I do want to mention that uh, we had a couple key battles on the offensive line, you know, in particular. Uh, it was key to note that Matt Hennessy was the guy at center that came out and got that got the first team reps on the first drive. Uh, obviously, Drew Dahlman is a guy that a lot of people have looked at. And during training camp, there were some reports that Drew Dahlman was actually getting the first team snaps. So I don't know if Hennessy had jumped him in that or they're just trying to run out different guys. Dahlman, he, he had a lot of playing time. Um, I was actually pretty impressed with both of them. I, I don't I didn't see anything key between either of them that was like oh yeah that guy stinks. Uh, left guard left guard was another big spot Elijah Wilkerson and uh Jalen Mayfield and let's just say I feel like that Elijah Wilkerson is going to be the week one starter at left guard and if he's not then I do not know what is going on with this coaching staff. I've seen so many like tweets and stuff saying that uh you could do like a little fan thing and be like oh yeah we brought a fan in to play a game and play him at left guard and nobody would even know the difference if he's the same size as Jalen Mayfield because Jalen Mayfield is that bad at football oh I, I don't know how he still holds a job in the league there was actually a, there was actually a thing going around twitter earlier today saying that um you should 
raffle off tickets to raise money for the team um, for fans to be able to pay in and have the opportunity to be the person that calls Jalen Mayfield to tell him that he's off the team. No, I, I agree. I would I would like to be that guy. And I, I would not have very kind words for him. We would do it on the podcast. We'd have him on the podcast. Hey, bro, listen to the podcast right quick. Oh, yeah, Jalen, you're off the team, bud. Yeah, Jalen Mayfield. I know he's a huge fan of this podcast. Um, he, he is horrible. He's a horrible football player. Yeah, he is terrible. I think whenever he got drafted, too, I want to say he was a Michigan product. Uh, when he got drafted, he put, a tw- he put a tweet out. Actually, it was before he got drafted. He put a tweet out and said, if you don't want your quarterback to get sacked anymore, uh, draft me. At that time, he was playing right tackle. But uh, yeah, I, obviously, he made the move over to left guard. And uh, if he can't perform at left guard, I would have hated to see this kid try to play left or right tackle because it would have been absolutely awful. Yeah, and here's a statistic to go along with that. As far as the Falcons as a whole, totaling the entire game from start to finish, first to fourth quarter, over 30% of quarterback pressures were allowed by Jalen Mayfield. Yeah, he's he's rough, man. I also have to mention, uh, since we're on the first drive notes, Jake Matthews, man. And me and Kenny are both big Jake Matthews fans. He's another guy we feel like Falcons fans kind of give a little bit too dis- too much discredit to. But, man, Aiden Hutchinson made you look like you were an undrafted rookie out there with with a simple move. It wasn't even like Aiden made like a crazy like groundbreaking move, man. Jake, you can't you can't do that, man. You're you've been in the league way too long. You've been too, way too good of an NFL player. Obviously, I feel like it's just it's just a little fluke thing. He dropped his head. He tried to make a lunge for him, oh and and Aiden went inside on him and just destroyed the run play. So <laughs> I'm not giving yeah, too I mean, much like credit to one, Aiden on that one because it was an easy play. But yeah, it was like a one step setup, cross your face, and absolutely dusted Jake Matthews. Made him look like a a ten year old out there playing football. It was horrible. But you know, like Jake said, I'm gonna write it off because Jake Matthews has been a staple in this offensive line for for such a long time and. He's a he's a he's a quality player. You know, whether you want to admit it or not, left tackle is probably the I don't know, receivers kind of they've made such a huge jump here recently, but in, in recent history or in distant history, I guess I should say, left tackle has been the second most desired position on the offense. You know, it's still top three. I know receivers are super valuable now in the past heavy league that it is, but in a league where the left tackle position is so important to have a quality guy for such a long time and Jake Matthews, that's just something that it can't go unnoticed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so on the first drive notes, I, I think that's it. Um, I know Quadre Allison. Quadre Allison looked, looked really, really good to me. I, I was really impressed with some of the runs he had. I also like to see Damon Williams out there a little bit. It was interesting to see we didn't see Cordero Patterson really get any touches throughout the game. He was on the field a little bit, but... Obviously, Cordero Patterson for the Falcons, he's not going to be a guy that you're going to, you know, give too much play to. Kind of just like Cal uh, Pitts, just kind of guys to be out there on the offense. I don't, they didn't really design any plays to any of those guys. So, you know, I, obviously that's our top two offensive players this year. So we don't want to get those two guys hurt in a stupid preseason game. Um, but I'm assuming, just from what I saw, I, I think Quandre is going to be the feature back behind Cordero, which Cordero is not a prototypical running back. I feel like Quadre is going to take over that powerhouse role. Obviously, Tyler Algier is another guy we look at that could, that could get significant time in that role, and there's still two more games left. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, uh, Tyler Algier also had a couple good carries um, later in the game, which was nice to see. Uh, I wanted to say that the defense, the first team defense looked miserable. So, and this is including Grady Jarrett and all those guys. Um, 
Obviously, AJ Terrell really didn't get too many targets. I did see Casey Hayward get beat once or twice. And, uh, you know, other than, other than uh, Rashawn Evans, who looked really, really good, the first team defense looked bad, which is something that we were going to have to clean up. Yeah, it was rough. I want to talk to um, Caleb Huntley, a high school teammate of mine, friend of mine from, from years and years back. Um, he is a guy that, that was, you know, picked up as an undrafted free agent by this, Fal- by this Falcons team, um, played college ball at Ball State. Um, like I, I just said, high school teammate of mine. Dude's an absolute stud. So it's awesome in preseason because we get to see a little bit more play time from him. So, um, you know, he came out there, had eight carries, played some good football. So I'm excited to see him, man. Uh, he's a guy that I would love to potentially have on the show one day, kind of talk a little bit, talk a little bit of Falcons ball uh, from an inside perspective. So, um, Caleb, if you're listening, um, love you, buddy. Um, you know, obviously we're big fans of yours from a personal standpoint and a football standpoint. So love seeing him play. Oh, yeah. And I want to say this is, uh, this is Caleb's third year in the Falcons system. And uh, I know that there was conversation out there about Arthur Smith and Caleb saying that Caleb is actually uh, a guy that they look at that can turn like two yard carries into big plays. So he's another guy to look forward on this uh, Falcons offense. He's a guy that I could see actually getting some like regular season time in this year, which would be really, really nice to see because because of his ability to do that, turn turn small plays into big plays because of his power and his speed. Um, but yeah, that, I think that I think that's it for my first team stuff. Honestly, the Falcons defense didn't look very good, and the Falcons offense looked very good in my in my opinion. That that's, that was my takeaways from that first drive. Yeah, agreed. I do have some key notes about some guys that uh were not playing on the first drive, and I'm gonna go ahead and start with the negative first. Um, Mike Ford, the safety, uh, he's another guy to me in the Jalen Mayfield level of. I, I would like to personally call this guy and tell him he is not playing football for the Atlanta Falcons anymore. I could not stand watching this guy play in this preseason game. And for a guy that I think is actually decently high up the depth chart at the safety spot, dude, I hope that he does not get much play. Eric Harris, on the other hand, obviously a veteran safety. And I think now that he's been dropped down to the third safety on the on the field, I don't think he's a guy that's going to start every game or play you know, every snap. Now with uh, Mr. Doo-doo-doo, I'm losing my names. Oh, what are the safeties' names? Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant taking yeah. over those two spots. So, um, obviously, that's a big deal. Um, AJ Terrell looked good, but I am really, really, I was really impressed with the Falcons' two cornerbacks that had played later in the game with Tease Tabor and D. Alford. I think both those guys played hell of like I, they they made some plays. D. Alford had an interception in this game, and dude, he hung with them so long, and uh, it it was it was great to see. D. Alford looked crazy. I was very impressed with both of those guys. Tease Tabor, uh, specifically, he was locking guys down, hanging with everybody. He looked like a really, really good player. Yeah, and it's funny because on a couple podcasts ago, I mentioned guys that uh were giving Kyle Pitts fits in training camp, and he was one of them. And I couldn't even barely remember his name. So, right, you know, he's he's the, he's a the guy that that I look forward to watching. Um, you know, in the front seven, I want to say that uh I was impressed with Arnold Ebiketti. He's a guy yeah. that we look we look really really high high for. And he didn't really have the numbers. He didn't. He didn't record a sack in this game. But you know, he was. He had some promising moves. I did think that he tried to bull rush the uh, left tackle a couple, like too many times. Whenever he was trying to get that edge, he was really getting out there. But when he tried to pull off the bull rush, he didn't really get through. Um, I also wanted to mention Dorian Etheridge. Dorian Etheridge is a guy that was playing linebacker. I think he also rushed the edge a little bit. And I was super impressed with him, man. And he's a guy that's fighting for a roster spot. And I, I think he's a guy that's going to make one. 
Uh, we have a couple more guys. Uh, D'Angelo Malone played a pretty good game. He's another draft pick from this past year. Um, Nathan Landman. Nathan Landman is the guy that has the horse collar that plays middle linebacker, and he he had a pretty good game. He recorded five tackles. Uh, and then your guy, Kenny Jalen Dalton. That was hey. that was the big defensive tackle up the middle that was causing stuff, and it finally paid off in the fourth quarter when he finally got that sack. So, you know, Jalen Dalton looked really really good. Uh, we have we have a couple guys that we talked about that are guys that are fighting for roster spots, and that's the fun of the preseason, man. You get to see these guys, and then. Probably week seven, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is the guy from preseason that was making those plays. He'll probably make an appearance. Michael Walker's another guy that's probably going to get some first-team reps throughout the season that I'm, I'm really excited about. He's, he's an athletic linebacker that I think could play a pretty big role. But, you know, this Falcons, Falcons defense is really, other than A.J. Terrell and Grady Jarrett, this whole Falcons defense is pretty much a project. So, you know, we'll, it's going to be fun to watch it unfold and see how see what route the Falcons take throughout the season because, obviously, you know, we have, we have some holes to fill. And there's a lot of different guys that can fill those holes. Yeah, no, it's definitely a project. So preseason is a it is it's typically the least exciting time of football season because you're not seeing great play. But um, for a Falcons team that's very much in a rebuild, um, it's exciting to see the guys that we're going to be, you know, are so to speak going to be the the building block building blocks for this uh, for this team for years to come. So um, yeah, no, I, I've never really been excited for preseason. Like I have been this year, obviously we're just itching for football to come back in general, but to be in the position that we are as Falcons fans, like some of these guys really impressed. Yeah, and uh, I think that's it on my Falcons side of stuff. Uh, On the offensive side of stuff, I was impressed with Frank Darby. He was one guy that kind of stood out for me like at the receiver receiver position. I did like to see that. Also, Avery Williams. Avery Williams, the kick punt return return specialist for the Falcons, one of the best in the league. He made the uh, change from cornerback to wide receiver this year. He did. We did get to see him make get a target. I think I want to say it through a little wide receiver screen to him, which was cool. Um, he's a guy I look forward to, and he's he's a lock to make this roster, just just for his return special his return capability in general. But uh, there is one guy I want to talk about. But I'm going to hand you the keys to this one, Kenny, because as we talk about Von Grissom and me being on a guy, I'll let you you know get your spotlight on this guy because this is a guy that you told me about, and I had no idea who he was. And you probably should have mentioned this on the podcast before, because I know, I know, I will give you credit that you were you were looking forward to seeing this guy. He did not, you know, he he was impressive. No, so the guy that Jake is referring to is Falcons legend Jared Bernhardt. Um, Jared Bernhardt is an absolute animal. He is an absolute dog. He's probably, I mean, he is an incredible athlete in general. Uh, a little background on this guy uh, before we get into the game and what he produced. Um. Jared Bernhardt um, was a football player coming out of high school um, and ultimately decided to go to Maryland to play lacrosse. Um, He played at Maryland, I want to say, for three years in lacrosse, led him to a national championship. Um, If you're a hockey fan, I know I'm a hockey guy, um, so here's just a a very small example of what statistics say as far as hockey and, and sports like lacrosse go. You have goals, you have assists, and you have points. Um, And that's kind of how you judge production offensively. Now, goals, obviously, are when you score in lacrosse or hockey. Assists are when you make a pass or uh, put a guy in a position to score, just like in basketball. And then points are a total of both. So in a game, let's say you have one goal, one assist, that would be two points. Um, Jared Bernhardt is the Maryland Terrapins' all-time leader in points. Um, Actually, one... Um, the Taylor 
Territon, out Territon. I don't know how to say that. I think it's the Territon <laughs> Award. Um, obviously, we're not lacrosse guys, but which is basically the college is it's the Heisman of college lacrosse. Won that at Maryland. Um, had an extra year of eligibility and ended up leaving the program to go play. I think Division Two football, where he started quarterback and led his team to a national championship. Um, so. Needless to say, this dude is an absolute freak athlete. Genetic freak. He's a hard worker. First guy in, last guy out, lunch pail type of guy. Coach son mentality. But he is an absolute animal. Um, ends up getting picked up by the Falcons as an undrafted free agent. We bring him in as a receiver. And he comes out there, man, and plays. Get, ends up getting the crazy last-second touchdown to take the lead from Desmond Ritter, 24-yard touchdown in the end zone, making a crazy adjustment on his route, going around a guy to make the catch and score. This is a guy that, man, I'm just hoping that he makes the team. Um, if you're an NFL fan, you probably know guys like like um, like Brian Hoyer, uh, not Brian Hoyer, excuse me, uh, Chris Hogan, guys like Gunnar Oschleski, um Dudes that are just crazy hard work, specifically the Patriots. They seem to find these small, athletic white dudes that just play crazy <laughs> football. They're smart, but they make these crazy athletic plays. And I think Jared Bernhardt is a guy that has Bill Belichick salivating watching him play. So I hope he sticks around because this guy, is he's just kind of a toolbox. He's a Swiss Army knife. Um, I love this dude. I'm a fan. I'm, I'll buy a Bernhardt jersey day one if he makes this roster. So, um Welcome to the team. I was so happy to see him get that touchdown. Yeah, and I'm I'm a fan too, and because he helped me lock my over Falcons money line parlay I had, which was beautiful on that fourth down throw by Ritter. Um, I did see interesting things. I know I saw Des Bryant and some more people talking about on uh Twitter how how good of a throw it was by Ritter to be able to actually put the ball somewhere in the vicinity, moving to your right, making a nice little thirty yard throw down the field, which is good to see. And man, he the way he adjusted on the corner to get body position on him, it it was it was awesome. And he made a hell of a play. And like I said, he cashed me some money in. So I am also a fan of his now. He's also a lot to make. I I have to say, he is definitely a lot to make the uh make the practice squad. There's no doubt about that. At this point, he's he's gonna be at least gonna be on the practice squad. Which at that point, you know, you never know when you're gonna get that call up. So we're rooting for that. I did want to mention before we get off Falcon stuff. Uh, I did have a list of people that did not play. Um. We had mentioned Brian Edwards earlier. Uh, also, Trey Anderson did not play. He's a guy that we've all looked forward to, especially whenever you draft him out of what Montana State and the Kobe Dean's still on the board. So he's a guy that we look forward to and hope to see him press. Uh, Marlon Davidson, former Auburn defensive lineman. He was on the same line as uh, they had another good guy that came out a couple while back, and I don't think he ever really did anything. Marlon Davidson was his, his guy next door. Uh, Jalen Hawkins, our safety. He didn't play. Nick Kwiatkowski. We out quit cap. Kwiatkowski, that's it. I'm sorry. That's yeah, a hard Kwi- name for me to Kwiatkowski. Kwiatkowski. Um, you know, former veteran linebacker around the league for a couple teams. He didn't play. And cornerback Isaiah Oliver didn't play. Isaiah Oliver's a guy I'm looking forward to. Last year, whenever they moved him down to the nickel spot, he played great football. One of the better nickel corners in the league. And, you know, I expect him to come back and be able to do the same thing. That's, me. that's, that's it on my Falcon stuff, Kenny. All right, we'll head it into... Uh... The last big segment that we have for this episode, we'll try and keep it brief for you guys. I know we're crossing over that hour mark. Um, so I, I wanted to uh, do a little notes for you guys. Um, if you don't know, depending on when you're listening to the podcast, we are currently 19 days away from UGA football. 
So we are ready to go, man. We're foaming at the mouth, ready to get out there and play. So I wanted to kind of give an update of some of these UGA boys that are in the league right now. We've got some guys that are com competing for playing time, and we ha we saw a lot of UGA players play in preseason. There's a couple surprising guys, too. I mentioned it to Jake before the podcast. I didn't drop any names because I wanted to get some on-air reaction to some of these guys that are getting reps. Um, so let's dive into it. Uh, leading off my list, you hear – People obviously Georgia fans. We've been we've been singing this guy's praises for for years. Um, George Pickens, man, he's kind of yeah. taken the league by storm in practice or in a training camp. He looks like an absolute animal um, and showed out in his first preseason game. He had three receptions for forty three yards and a beautiful back corner toe tapper, courtesy of the legend Mason Rudolph. Um, followed by a Antonio Brown touchdown celebration in the back of the end zone, which yeah. was fitting. Got some attention from AB, Steelers legend uh, and noted head case. Um, mm -hmm. He's also this dude is an absolute bully in the run game. I mean, he was out there throwing guys like rag dolls. We saw it at Georgia. He's physical. He's big. He's fast. He's got hands. He can run routes. He does everything. Like you can't ask for a better player. So for this Pittsburgh Steelers team that I know is dealing with an injury in Deontay Johnson, who is undoubtedly their number one receiver, you bring a guy like this in, compound him with Chase Claypool, like. He is going to be a sleeper this season and look like an absolute animal in that preseason game. Yeah, yeah he's, he's going to be an absolute foul for sure. Uh, next guy on my list, Terry Godwin um, with the Titans. He had four receptions, 31 yards, looked really, really good, ran some good routes. Um, he actually led the team in targets in the preseason game. He played a really good bit. So um, Terry Godwin, UGA legend, he made the one-handed catch in the back of the end zone. Um he is a guy that is kind of fizzled out in the league, so I'm hoping that he gets some roster, uh, that he, he makes this roster and gets some playing time for this Titans team, who is kind of lacking in the receiver department. Oh, yeah, I would love to see Terry Godwin. He's a, he's a guy that uh, I think everybody really enjoyed at Georgia. He was, he was a fun player to watch. Uh, next one for me is a bigger-name guy, obviously DeAndre Swift, who's a stud, probably top 10 running back in the NFL. Fantasy-wise, he's probably top five. Um he didn't play too much, but he had four carries for 20 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, the time was very limited because he is the number one running back for that team. I just wanted to touch on him a little bit. Um, another interesting one, not necessarily interesting because we knew he was a, a good player and knew he was you know, going to get some burn in the NFL, but uh, Richard LeCount for the Browns, uh, he played a, a pretty good bit. Um, had two tackles and a fumble recovery. He's right now the number two free safety on the depth chart behind John Johnson, who is an, an absolute stud. So look for Richard LeCount to get some PT this year because he is an absolute animal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Everybody loves LeCount. And, you know, I think it sucks because I, I think if I recall right, he had gotten to a four-wheeler accident right before that draft happened. So it was, yeah. it was kind of a tough case for him. But he was a guy in college, man. You looked at him as one of the top safeties in college football. So he's a guy that I think he's in year three now. So we're looking for that big jump to see if he can make an impact on that Browns defense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of big game, big name guys, Trayvon Walker. We talked about him before because he played that Hall of Fame game for the Jags. Um, but he looked good, man. He just continues to impress. Racked up solo tackle and a couple pressures. Um, he's absolutely dominating these offensive linemen. Like he is physical, and this is something. He's a guy that didn't really fill up the stat sheet at UGA, similar to Jordan Davis, who is also on this list. But um, he he is just what he brings to a defense is so versatile and. You know, obviously, is very deserving of the number one overall pick. A lot of people thought it was controversial with Aiden Hutchinson being there, but I think from what we've seen so far, he's earned it and um, just looks like he's going to be a stud. Yeah, man, I'm I'm 
again, I'm really pumped to see him, and we got we got a ton of good damn dogs in the NFL. There you go. Um, I, I just I just talked about him, Jordan Davis. I wanted to talk about him and Nakobe Dean as a one-two punch. Uh, Nakobe oh, yeah. Dean looked amazing. He had five total tackles, four solo, um, absolute stud. You saw there was one play where Jordan Davis kind of locked up the center and left guard. Nakobe slid in there and made a TFL. Like it was beautiful. We saw that. Every single game, multiple times at UGA, Jordan Davis, he's not going to fill up the stat sheet. He's just not. That's just the kind of player that he is. He's a role player, and he's okay with it. But we talked about him last episode or two episodes ago, whenever it was, him dominating in camp. Um, so he looks like an absolute animal. Um, here's my guy, Jake. He, he, this is the guy that I was – I didn't want to mention to you because I wanted you to be surprised. Um, this is a guy that I think – and, and I didn't know it until today. I did some research. He has worked his way up this depth chart. He's going to get some serious action on the offensive side of the ball. And that is Lawrence Cager. Lawrence Cager? Yes. Okay. I remember him. Okay. I, it's funny because I have a list of uh, guys that um, are from Georgia in the NFL. And he's actually not on the list because didn't he get in something happen? He had a situation. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but he's with the Jets now, and he Lawrence led the Cagers with the Jets in the in this. Oh, there preseason. he is. Yeah, he is there. Okay, nice. And I've read a lot of reports saying that this guy has been impressing in camp, and I think he's a guy. He's not going to be a number one, number two, obviously, but he's a guy that you could see play. Uh, you know, I don't want to say significant, but you know, he could eat up some some action in this regular season so if he continues to get after it man Lawrence Cager we didn't see too much from him at Georgia but what we saw was very impressive he's a big guy he's physical he's got some good hands he runs some good routes but he's more of a he's he's more of a middle of the field go up and get it type of player so Mm -hmm. to lead that New York Jets team in receptions in the preseason game I mean I'm super optimistic like it's exciting to see a guy like that yeah, Lawrence Cager was a guy at Georgia, man. He was so much fun to watch. He was one of those uh, big-body guys, guy you throw up to on the sideline in the end zone. He would go up there and get it. And uh, I want to say what I was thinking of. I think he had a, an injury near the back end of that his, his season at Georgia. I know he had went to Miami, played college ball primarily at Miami, and he transferred to Georgia last year. But, man, to see, whenever we did see him at Georgia with Jake Fromm, man, he, he looked really, really good. He was always a really impressive target. And he's one of those guys, I mean, you watch, and you're like, okay, this guy could probably make it to the next level. Like, I mean, the, just the physicals are there, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I, that was not a name I was expecting to see, but, you know, props to you for pulling that one out, pulling that one out the hat. Yeah, dude, that was super exciting to see. That one crept up on me. A um, few guys left on the list to hit on. Uh, Channing, T- Channing Tindall, uh, he's with the Dolphins. He had four total tackles, three solo. Um, this is a guy that, you know, was was – UGA fans, we were very high on him and ended up kind of creeping up a lot of people's draft boards. So he's going to have a pretty significant role with that Dolphins defense. So I'm excited to to see him because he was a stud at UGA. Um, next on my list, I've got Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship. Um, he had a weird situation last year, and I don't really know the full deal. I think he was dealing with a little bit of a naggy injury, but it ended up not playing for most of the season. Um, and obviously – his rookie year tore up the NFL is, you know, coming, you're a Colts team coming off Vinatieri. You bring in a guy like hot rod who we know at UGA, put your specs on like this dude is an absolute animal. Oh, yeah. um, so he starts, the, starts off the NFL season just as he was at UGA. Absolutely perfect. He was, uh, I, you know, I think he had one field goal, two extra points. Didn't miss anything. Um, also recorded a tackle in the game. So uh, look for that. 
Rodrigo. Oh, yeah. Rod. Um, watch out, Darius Leonard. <laughs> um, James Cook uh, with the Bills. Um, he had four touches in the game. He didn't get a lot of PT, but he really gives this team some much-needed versatility out of the backfield. Um, he also returned kicks for the team in the preseason game, so look for that as the season develops. I've seen a lot of reports saying that James Cook is going to be a fantasy sleeper this year. He's a guy that could really creep, creep into that number one, number two spot on the Bills' backfield. Um, obviously, the Bills are the favorite to win the Super Bowl this year out of the NFL, so bringing in a guy like that who can catch passes out of the backfield as well as run between the tackles. Like he's kind of a he's kind of an X factor for that team. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's 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 gonna be awesome, man. He's 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 the he, to me he was a pro super running back at Georgia for the NFL. And I I expect him to continue that in the NFL. Um and then a couple guys to round my list out. They played tonight, Zamir White and Lewis Seen. Um both super big UGA guys. We love them. Um Zamir White had some really good burn in that first preseason game. He impressed a lot of people. He had seven touches tonight. A lot of, He had some limited playing time. He didn't play too much. And then Lewisine had a tackle, also had some limited playing time. He didn't play too much either. But uh, these are guys that are going to be staples for their team moving forward. Uh, either way you look at it, I know the Raiders running back room is kind of deep, but Zamir White, if he can, especially if he keeps impressing in preseason and in camp like he has been, this guy's going to get some really good playing time. And then Lewisine, I expect him to be a day-one starter. Oh, yeah, Lewis Seen's going to be a beast, man. He he was another guy, and I think that the college football playoff and the national championship really helped his stock rise because people started to see, okay, this guy can play against real talent, and this guy can hit. He can lay people out. He does not care how big you are or how strong you are. He is going to put everything he has in and try to put you on the floor and to try to hurt you. He is a tough player, man. We we love Lewis Seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Two guys I wanted to talk about, too. These are the last two on my list. I don't have a lot on them, but I just wanted to give a little bit of projection. Uh, number one is McCole Hardman. Um, I want to say he played a little bit in yesterday's game, but he didn't play too much. He may not have even played, honestly. I didn't I didn't really look at it. He didn't have anything stand out, any, anything flashy. Um, and uh, but, but as far as McCole Hardman goes, this is a guy that we've seen his impact on this Chiefs offense develop year after year. He's obviously there. Kick returns, punt returns, especially with Tyreek being gone. Uh, this is a guy who he's got insane burners, insane speed. I think he's going to take on a pretty big role in this Chiefs offense moving forward. And then Sony Michelle. Um, he only had two carries in the game. He's with the Dolphins now. They're uh, in a pretty deep running back room as well with Miles Gaskin, um, Savon Ahmed, and uh, who's the other guy? Mm. Fast, the fast dude from the Niners. Raheem Mostert. Raheem Mostert. So, uh, Sony Michelle, they pick him up primarily for depth. But this is a guy that tore up, tore it up when he was with the Patriots. And obviously, the Patriots don't hold on to their guys. So, ends up leaving, going to L.A., playing really good there. And now mm-hmm. he's uh, in Miami. So, I'm hoping that we'll get to see some uh, some play out of him because he's a UJ legend. Oh, yeah. We love Sony, too. Um, so, that was your last names on there? Yep. That's it for me. I did want to mention for Georgia fans while we're on the topic, uh, some teams to keep your eye on. If, if you're not really an NFL fan, but you like to keep up with your guys in the league, some teams that, you know, have a good bit of guys you can watch. Uh, the Bills. The Bills are a team that will probably feature two Georgia players uh, in big roles on the offense with James Cook being that uh, second running back behind Devin Singletary. And Isaiah McKenzie, who is going to be their primary kick returner and their primary slot receiver this year. So, you know, two guys, the human joystick, you know, he's still making it in the league. He's been a consistent player for, you know, four to five years now. And he's going to be a guy that's probably going to hold a job in this league for a long time. And James Cook's a guy just breaking in. And 
you know, looking looking to play a big role. Uh, obviously, we go to the Cleveland Browns. Um, Nick Chubb. That's really all I should say. But uh, like you said, Richard LeCount's a guy that's looking to play a big role. They also have Javon Wims. Javon Wims is a guy that's I think he's fourth or fifth on the depth chart. So he's a guy that we could see get a little bit of play. Um, we'd love Javon Javon Wims. Whenever you're talking about a guy like Lawrence Cager, this is a guy that you know reminds me of that same type of play style of a guy that can just go up and get it. And again, we talk about a guy that's been around the league for a while and has had some jobs. I I think everybody remembers uh Javon Wims with the Bears slapping the Saints player Gardner Johnson across the helmet, which was hilarious. <laughs> he's a menace. Uh. We go over to the Packers, man. If you watch that Packers defense, you are going to see uh, players at every level from Georgia. Um, their number one corner is Eric Stokes, or number two corner. He's, he's one of the guys they play out wide. Um, Quay Walker. Quay Walker looks like he is going to be a day one starter with the Packers. And then Devontae Wyatt, obviously he's probably going to be a guy that gets a good bit of play over there. Their first, their, you know, two first-round picks they had they used on Georgia guys in that defense, so they're going to be fun to watch. Um, I did want to mention Chris Conley. Chris Conley is probably going to take a pretty big role this year with the Houston Texans, which is going to be really exciting to see. He another guy that's been around the league for, I think he's going into year seven right now. And obviously at Georgia, he was a guy that the talent was, you know, unlimited list with him. The combine was insane, but he's just a guy that's had a hard time, you know, really finding that groove in the league, you know, finding that role as like a number one, number two type guy. He's always been kind of a number three, four guy that you've had on your team. But he's always had put up good numbers. Uh, obviously we talk about the Jaguars. Um, with Trayvon Walker and Tyson Campbell. I mean, that's going to be their primary or one of their primary edge rushes in their number one corner right there. Um, then we take it down, obviously, the Rams. The Rams have Leonard Floyd on the defensive side of the ball, who's going to be their number one outside linebacker, and they have Matthew Stafford at the quarterback spot. So if you love Georgia ball, this might be your number one team right here because Matthew Stafford is an absolute menace in the league, and obviously he's a Georgia legend. But they also have Darius, Darius, uh, Darion Kendrick, I should say. And Darion Kendrick's another guy that's not too far down that depth chart. And, you know, he plays his way up into that thing. We watched him, we watched him at Georgia, obviously, and at Clemson the years before that. The dude is the dude is a stud. And, you know, he's a guy I'm rooting for. Played a big role. And I feel like he was a lot of teams really slept on him in this draft, falling all the way down to the sixth round. Um, you mentioned you mentioned the uh Dolphins with Channing Tindall and Sonny Michelle. I also want to mention that old friend John Jenkins is also there. Um, he's slotted number two in the nose tackle. He's a guy that got drafted in 2013, so he's been around the league for a little bit. He was a he was a saint for a while, which I couldn't root for him there, but I feel like I can get, get a little bit of rooting going on with the Dolphins, which is going to be fun. And this is my main team that I'm looking at is the New York Giants. You know, we talk about Andrew Thomas. He's going to be their number one left tackle going into the year. We talk about Aziz Ojalari. Obviously, he, had a, he was a stud last year going into the season, but man, the one former Georgia player that I don't feel like gets enough respect is 2021st or seventh round pick, Tay Crowder, man. Tay Crowder, I, I I don't have the preseason numbers in front of me, but Tay Crowder was one of the better interior linebackers in football last year. The dude had 119 total tackles. So Tay Crowder is going to be a guy that, dude, he is so much fun to watch. And I see so much success in his future, man. 25 years old, he is going to be a stud. And it only, it only shows that Georgia is uh, middle linebacker you. So, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that that's that's all my notes on uh on this Georgia. Oh yeah, I also have to mention that uh Jake Camarda, he's the he's the number one punter for the for the Bucks this year. So that's also everybody loves Jake Camarda. So he's a guy I'd watch out for. There you go. Uh, that rounds out for me as well as far as the NFL is concerned. If that's it for you, Jake, um, I have a very brief thing I wanted to read. Uh, PFF released their preseason. All-American first-team defense. Um, 
the six guys that they released were front seven guys, and there's two UGA players on it. So um, I know we talk a lot about this UGA defense in past podcasts, past episodes. Um, so I just wanted to hit on this real quick before we head out. Um, from top to bottom. Can I have guesses? Uh, sure. Uh, Nolan Smith and Jalen Carter. That's it. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so on this preseason All-American first team defense list, uh, they just listed the top six, so I'll just read them off um, in order. Uh, at the number one defensive lineman spot is Jalen Carter. Number two defensive lineman is Brian Breesey at Clemson. Yep. Um, edge rusher, number one edge rusher on the list is Will Anderson, obviously from Alabama, followed by mm-hmm. number two, Nolan Smith. Um, linebacker as well. Um, the number one linebacker is Edifuan Olofisho from, uh, wa- from uh, Washington. And then <laughs> the number two linebacker is Noah Sewell at, in Oregon. So yeah. pretty interesting there, but we've talked about this UJ defense a lot. So to have two guys on the first team uh, All-American preseason list is uh, an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get on this real quick. Uh I, I love the love that Nolan Smith is getting right now in the offseason. I've seen people already like mocking him top fifteen in next year's draft. And, you know, I was a little bit nervous for him. You know, not not from my point of view. I watch I watch every Georgia game. I see what he does, but statistically the stats really aren't popping off the screen when it comes to the sack numbers and stuff. But dude, you watch Nolan Smith, you know, week in, week out. This dude is a beast, man. He is going to be a problem when he gets to the league. And I'm really, really happy to see that he's getting the recognition he deserves. Absolutely. He's an absolute animal. Yeah, do you have, is that all you have on the pro football focus stuff? That's it for me. Uh, that, I, I, think that, I think that about rounds it up. You know, That was dope. Uh, I wanted to mention before we get off this thing, you can find us on Twitter at Peach State Pod. You know, we posting bangers. Kenny's on the Twitter right now posting bangers. I'm out there trying to put some work in, and we are, we are trying to do that. Um, obviously, on the, on the streaming side of things, on the YouTube stream, Check us out on Peach State Tailgate on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either of those platforms, you can always check us out on YouTube. All of our all of our podcasts get posted on YouTube. So, you know, you'll be able to check out the live, see what we're doing, see how we're looking, check out the six strider stashes we got rocking. And uh, you know, episode seven, it was so far through six episodes, we've had, you know, great support and we can never say, you know, thank you enough. But I feel like, you know, we have to continue to say thank you because you guys have been awesome. Um, you know, we're pushing and I'm not, I'm not really big on numbers. You know, we're pushing up towards 200 downloads. Now we're getting to our next milestone. You know, whenever you're doing something like this and you're starting off on the smaller end, it's fun to keep track of the smaller details to see, oh, yeah, we did this today. Like, oh, yeah, it's fun. So, you know, every bit of support, the downloads, the, you know, the star ratings on Spotify or Apple, Apple Podcast, man, it, it, it's, you know, I can't express enough how much it means to us. And, you know, we are loving it. We're having so much fun. And the content's only going to get, more and more right now we're doing our 30 minute podcast every time we record and football season's not even full go so i can't imagine whenever we have to do georgia recaps brace recaps uh and all around the league recaps because we are going to be going deep dives on everything that's right that's right and uh you know i say it every week or every every episode i should say but i'm gonna keep beating the drum man y'all if you're listening leave us a review let us know what you think about the show and we're always looking for ways to make it better obviously you know rolling out hour and a half, hour and 45 minute episodes every time might not be the most ideal way to do it, but there's just so much stuff to go over. There's, there's so much when you're talking about in the sports world between baseball, football, college, and pro, like there's a lot going on right now. So we're really trying to give you guys our inside information, what we're seeing from, from everywhere. Obviously Jake and I, we eat, sleep and breathe this stuff. So we're just constantly trying to find 
information on the teams that we love and the players that we love. So, um, you know, they get a little longer, but for sure, you know, let us know what you think. Any way we can make this show better for you guys, leave us a review, leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube, follow us on the socials. We're always trying to get content out there. And um, with that being said, I think that rounds it up, rounds it out for uh, episode seven. Uh, seventh episode, it's kind of crazy to think that we've been here for, for seven episodes. It feels like, you know, obviously we are just getting started, but it feels like we just filmed the first one. So this has been a blast. I enjoy every single time we, we strap the mic on and, and hop in here and, and talk to you guys. Um, so thank you guys so much for your support, for listening. Um, we say thank you so many times, but we just can't say it enough because you guys have been great and the reception has been amazing since we started this thing. So thank you again. And uh, we look forward to, to bringing you some more content in the near future. And uh, we'll be back on Wednesday. Yep. See you guys next time.